Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. everybody this is Sandra Beck and I've got a great show today we're going to talk about books we're going to talk about all different kinds of books if you'd love to read I love to read I love to learn things I love to listen to books you know Frankie um, I listen to them in the car I listen to them when I work out I listen to them sometimes at night in the bathtub it's just such a great age we live in this digital age and I'm so glad that you're here with me today because not only are you a multimedia producer but you're the author of three books Four books now. Four books. Okay, so you're you're. Uh, tell me what your books are. Okay, I've got Midlife Mojo, How to Get Through the Midlife Crisis and Emerge as Your True Self. I've got No Bull Allowed, How to Lasso, uh, no, How to Lose the Losers and Lasso in Love. Wow. Yeah, I've <laughs> Did you got, say that three times. Yeah, I know. I can't. Uh, I bared my chest. Twenty one unstoppable women get naked. And yesterday, I just launched my new book. It's called For Want of Forty Pounds: From Persecution to Perseverance. How far would you go for freedom? Now that book you wrote about your dad. I did. Yeah, it was really exciting. Um, my dad turned ninety four yesterday on March eighteenth, and um, March eighteenth, nineteen. 38. My dad was 13 years old and he was living in Vienna, Austria. And Hitler um, had just uh, annexed Austria. His father was in a concentration camp. Um, the Nazis had taken away his, his mother's store. They had removed the family out of the family home and overtaken it and shoved them off somewhere else. And so with his father interred and his mother had two, two young boys, um, my dad used to... Uh, do do errands and mostly they were for prostitutes because they were the only ones with money he would like run and get the milk and things like that and so um that dried up that that all dried up and there was no money and uh so he looked at his mom and he said you know he was a younger brother but he looked at his mom and he said i'm gonna save you and so he packed up whatever he had a little bit of clothing he had no money he had no map. He had, you know, nothing. And he took off on approximately about a 1500 kilometer trek from Vienna to Amsterdam, where he knew in Amsterdam, and now he's only grade eight, he knew in Amsterdam that you could, that there was water and he could get to England. He, he just thought in his head that England would be the place to go where he might be able to get help. So he had oh, wait, to, let me get this straight. So he's 13 years old, like 13 so years old. Like, you know, I'm your a mom, son. you're a mom, moms yeah. are listening today. This is your eighth grader. Yeah. This, like, is, this your is your eighth grader. Going, I don't like mine to walk. Like, I, they're okay to walk home from school, but 1,500 kilometers, like, holy bananas, Batman. That's crazy. Yeah. And not only that, but he had to do a lot of it at night because walking through Germany, he had to avoid the Nazis. He had to avoid any sympathizers. He had to, anybody go, oh, little boy, what's, you know, what are you doing? And plus he had to steal food. He had to, he, he, you know, cause he had no money. Uh, he walked for three months, you know, he would take clothes off a, off a laundry line and if he had to, and, um, just kept on going until he got, he got, uh, to Amsterdam. And when he was in Amsterdam, he heard some, so, uh, sailors talking and one spoke German. And so he said, excuse me, you know, I'm looking for a boat. 
uh, do you know a boat where I could go to England? And he goes, well, do you have any money? He goes, no. And, you know, uh -huh. boy. <laughs> and he goes, but I need to go there. And the sailor kind of looked at him, you know, he was kind of kind, I guess. He says, come back at midnight. So he went back at midnight and he stowed him away on that ship. I mean, it's just, you're crossing the English Channel. And, and he arrives in England. And when they see him and they go, okay, well, either you can be arrested or, you know, anyway, I think they were all put into a refugee camp anyway. But then they said, you know, you can go to jail or you can go and work on a farm because all of the, all of the labor was being um, rounded up to go to war because, you know, sure. Churchill's, hey, we need all these guys. So he, he decided he went to a farm and he, he, worked, he didn't speak English. He didn't know anything. Uh, and they used to kick his butt all the time because he said, no, you know, bring me a shovel. And he'd bring him a broom. And he'd go, no, you stupid idiot. Bring me a shovel. You know? But oh, he, he didn't speak English. didn't speak English. But, and, and because he didn't trust him, he slept in the barn. He wasn't allowed in the, in the you know, where the, I guess where the rest of the ranch hands lived. So um, it was, that was kind of, he said, well, it was better than sleeping outside when he was traveling. So, um, Yeah. And he stayed there, and the the a reverend owned the property. He actually owned the village, and it was called uh, Staunton on the Vale. And it was Reverend Staunton and his wife who who ran this place. And so the Reverend Staunton, um, you know, would see him once in a while. But Mrs. He but Mrs. Staunton, and he insisted that everybody come to church on Sunday. And so after church on Sundays, Mrs. Staunton took him, and she. I don't know, she liked him or something. And so, you know, he would go to, to see her after lunch and he, she would teach him how to speak English and she would teach him how to eat properly with the right fork and all of that. And, and even taught him the typewriter, which is kind of random. But, yeah. <laughs> um, and right, I get teaching a kid today how to use the typewriter. We work in a digital age, but this was what, 19... 1939, let's say. Wow. So, so along comes a letter early on like, I think he was just, he'd just been there a couple months. His mom knew where he was. Uh, he had written to her and she said, listen, um, this is like a one day thing. If we can, if we need 45 pounds, it was really 45 pounds, but it came up 40 in the book. She says, we need 45 pounds to get your father out of the camp and get to Genoa and we can go to New York because my cousin sent us money for the voyage. And so he went to the Reverend and he said, um, I have this letter, it's from my mom and I need to borrow 45 pounds from you, <laughs> you know, can you send it to them? And he goes, well, let me think about it. It was really like Hitler said, like, you've got this little window of time. Right. And, and so he looked at it and, and he thought, okay, this is real. He sent her the money and he goes, now how are you going to pay for it? He goes, well, I guess I'm going to have to work here. So he stayed there five years <gasps> and worked on the farm for 40 pounds. Like that's like oh. $90. Wow. Wow. Like that's, I mean, that's so amazing, Frankie. I mean, there's, you know, I think of like, you know, my kids get so mad when the Wi-Fi slow. Yeah. You know, yeah. versus I still can't imagine your dad, you know, <clears throat> traipsing through Europe, like sleeping and stealing and basically surviving on whatever he could find. I mean, wits. Yeah. I mean, like really like perseverance. It really was, you know, a, a matter of perseverance and courage. And I think a young boy, like I said, it's like a young boy's faith that things will turn out the way they're supposed to, I guess. And uh, it was, well, this isn't like an adventure story, like the Hardy boys. This isn't made up. This, this is, is like real life. life. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. So and did the mom, did his mom get to like, what happened to the mom and his brothers? The mom and his brother and his dad made it to New York. They all went to, they, they went on the Saturnia, which was a ship that left Italy to New York city. And they went there 
um, and he, when he finished work, I think he was 17, and he says, listen, I, I want to, can I join the army? And, and the guy goes, yeah, okay, if you can get in, you can join it. So he went and he joined the British army. So Frankie, I'm so glad that we're talking about this today because our sponsor, who I really love, is Audible. And Audible is an Amazon company. And, you know, what would it look like if we all listened more? You know, we listen for a living. We listen to each other. We listen to stories all day long. And listening to audiobooks can not only inspire us, but motivate us and even bring us closer. And there's really no better place to listen than Audible. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now Audible members get more than ever before. Each month, they get three titles of their choice, one audiobook, two Audible originals, and a fitness program they can't get anywhere else. And you know, Frankie, how much I love fitness. I like, do. I eat, breathe, and sleep it. you think I'd be thinner with all the, <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that I read and listen to. But there's never been a better time to experience Audible. So try it free for 30 days by visiting audible.com slash motherhood or by texting motherhood, the word, to 500-500. Those are the numbers, 500-500. And Frankie, before we get back to your story, I just want to tell you some cool things that that um, I, I like about Audible. They have these apps for the iPhone, the iPad, the Android, and the Windows phone. I like that you can listen on the Amazon Fire tablet, so that means my kids can listen, your Windows phone. It works across all the iPad, iPhone devices. and Unlike some of the other streaming and rental services out there, with Audible, you own your books. So you're not renting them. So if you really like your book and you collect them like I do, they're always in your library and I can get them right from my smartphone. So the most important thing is that you can use the Audible app to share your book with someone. So I can share my books with you. I can send clips um, for anyone to listen to. And I can also speed up so it's faster or slower. Because when I'm running or when I'm on the treadmill, if the person's reading really slow, it drives me nuts. So you can actually speed it up for the tempo. But like sometimes I listen at night in the bathtub and especially to um, fiction books. I like to listen to those. It's like having somebody read me a bedtime story. Yeah, absolutely. Human beings love stories. You know, that's why I'm so surprised that, you know, more people aren't, aren't like jumping on Audible. And like, maybe they are, I don't know. But really, I know so many people who do not read and, they're, and I feel like they're missing out on just some great work that people have produced. But if they, but they're willing to listen. So if you're willing to listen to a story, because we love stories, uh, then you're going to still benefit from having, you know, heard these words of wisdom or listen to a great story. I'm not the best storyteller, but you know what? Uh, there are lots of people who are. And you and I both have a book on Audible, um, it's the I Buried My Chest book. And what's so interesting about that is that the majority of our sales are from Audible. I know. I mean, it's fantastic. But I got to tell you, like most of us spend a lot of time on a screen. I know I do. Mm -hmm. So I sit there on a screen sometimes eight, 10 hours a day. And so the concept of reading from a tablet, which I do, I own a, you know, Kindle Fire, I own a Kindle Paperwhite, you know, I have an iPad, so I can read on all those things, but my eyes are tired. And you know, I'm over 50. So the idea of getting my reading glasses in the tub and grabbing my digital device that I'm not going to drop in the water if I get sleepy, I just put it on one of my Bluetooth speakers and listen. And it's so great. 
Yeah. Um, so for those of you that want to try this out, go to audible.com slash motherhood or text motherhood to 500, 500 and listen for a change. I mean, that's such a great thing. Go to audible.com slash motherhood or text motherhood to 500, 500 and listen for a change. So Frankie, how did you like, why did you decide to write your dad's? Was it a memoir? Was it, what was the, it's, like, kind, of, it's kind of a memoir. It's kind of a, first of all, my dad didn't talk about the past. He, he never goes back. He always goes forward. And being 94, you know, everybody kept saying, Bert, you should tell your story. You should tell your story. And so he finally said, okay, I'm ready to, 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 to look back because it's painful in a way. It's, it's a hard story. Oh, sure. And, and decided to tell it. Now, you know, he was, I kind of broke the, I didn't break it up into chapters this way, but it was, the book is a little bit business because he was an entrepreneur. It talks about, sorry, it talks about his, his life. We got to give him show credit. Is that Bongo? <laughs> yeah. Yay, there's Bongo. Okay. And what, what is Bongo? Maybe my book, my hardcover is arriving. He's a golden oh, retriever. <laughs> he, um, so the, the book is, uh, as I said, it's inspirational, but it's also about business. So there's success in business and loss in business and how, you know, he, he gained. my father lost um, all of his money in a big real estate deal in California um, when he was 70. Wow. And so he, what do you do? Well, he pulled up his bootstraps and went back to work. He went to found a company that he could buy and run and make some money again. And he retired again when he was in his eighties. So, uh, and he made it very successful. So that's in the book. Um, and, all of a lot of our like his kids like he's been married a number of times and there's 10 kids all together three, <laughs> three natural bunch of stepkids and whatever um everybody you know had had uh, responded and, and wrote a letter or, or said was interviewed for the book and um it's just a beautiful legacy book i think for for definitely for our family and there was lots of stuff i didn't know that i researched and found out and i did have a co-author i asked um peter jennings to to write the book with me because i thought that I needed a voice, um, an objective voice. Okay. I, I wrote what was, um, we called it, uh, what do we call it? <laughs> the daughter's voice. <laughs> yeah. Frankie for the record. So Peter would talk about some stuff and, and we wrote independently. So I didn't really know what he was going to write about, but for the record kind of was the insiders, you know, yeah. view of, of what was happening in the family. And, uh, it's a messed up family. What can I say? Families can be messy and maybe your family's messy and you're going to see yourself and you're going to think, Oh, thank God. My family's not like that. That's well, and every, every family's messy. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the one thing, boy, you know, you go and you, you read enough books or you read enough parenting books and you read enough biographies and you're like, you know, if your family isn't messy, it's really hard to be great. Yeah, I guess so. And you know, it's so funny because you know that um, as a radio host and, and as an author, I've been I've been interviewed a number of times, and even by yourself, yeah. uh, people say, "Frankie, how did you get to do all that stuff? Like, where did that come from?" And I always say that came from my dad. And so now you know his story and his background, and you can find out where how Frankie got to be unstoppable Frankie, and kind of where that is it in my DNA. Maybe I don't know, but I think it's kind of it's kind of cool that everybody. Uh, kind of gave their voice to the book and he was thrilled. Um, and, and yesterday I said, you know, dad, I, I really want to give you a bestseller for your birthday. I want a number one bestseller. I didn't get to number one, 
but I got to number nine in England, That's which I was very surprised. Fantastic. Actually, in three categories, he was bestseller in England and, and in two categories in the USA. So I was thrilled beyond, beyond. Yeah. I think oh, it was really good for not having been able, I couldn't promote the book because my dad's on Facebook. He's on all the social media. So if he'd seen it, he, he hasn't seen, he hadn't seen the cover. He knew I was writing a book, but he hadn't right. didn't go save it for my birthday. It like, surprised me. So I did, and I couldn't do any promo stuff. So I'm like, okay, fingers crossed. Let's hope we can get this, pull this off yesterday. And with you and all my other amazing friends, on Facebook and in social media and people that I know I've interviewed, uh, we did, we pulled it off. And I, I'm just so grateful to everybody for helping make dad's birthday so special. Well, and it's what I love about this whole story, Frankie, is, you know, there's lots of moms out there that I know have a story in them or have experienced something that they want to share. And you didn't have a huge major publishing deal behind you. You didn't have a, you know, you, you struggle with health issues. Mm-hmm. And you did it. You remind me of like, you're like the Harry Potter of biographies, you know, like how that lady was like a single mom and wrote in the coffee shop. Like she just wrote and you just wrote. I just wrote. And it was kind of funny because, uh, two weeks ago, my dad calls and I'm like, I'm just about to publish the book. Now we're just like the button. I'm hitting the button. And he, hello. He goes, I had a dream. He goes, don't publish the book. I, I want you to wait till I die. I'm like, he said that the night before. Uh huh. I'm like, what? <laughs> I said, Dad, what are you talking about? He goes, I had a dream, and everybody read the book, and everybody was calling me, and I'm fielding all these calls, and I don't want to talk to everybody, so don't publish the book. I'm like, okay, maybe you think I'm better than I am because I don't think like millions of people are going to be reading this book, right? Like, right? I've, been, I've launched books before. You don't. We don't sell a million copies if you're not Nora, Nora Roberts, right? So I'm like, okay, uh, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. He goes, I, I, I just, people are going to call. They're going to know me. And I go, but you wanted to write a book about your life, right? And he goes, no, 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 just save it till I'm, till I'm dead. And I'm like, oh my God, I just spent months writing this book and getting it all together and paying all this money for different stuff, right? And I'm like, okay, I didn't want to upset him. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. And, and I thought, I'll just leave it for a couple of days. And I, it was funny because I did the cards and, and, and they, they said, no, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Right. And, uh, about three, four days later, his wife called me. She goes, book's back on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure a little bit, you know, cause if you think about it, if any of us had a, had a book written about our experience or what, you know, what we went through, there's a mixture, like a private mixture of like pride and like, Hey, this is great. But then there's also an embarrassment of like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a grown professional, successful person. And, you know, to know that you struggled and had such hardship, I think causes a little bit of confliction in people because we all have that public front. Yeah. And then we have our private front. I know like when my ugly divorce, um, and custody stuff started hitting the social media airwaves and, and even in our local town, it was embarrassing. And, you know, and people would say to me things like Frankie, like, oh yeah, my, my daughter had a, had a divorce like this, a contentious one. And people were all really supportive. Nobody was, but it was embarrassing that everybody knew your, what do they say? Like your dirty laundry. Yeah. Everybody knew your dirty laundry. Well, I think it was almost a prophetic dream. Because the next day, Peter called me and he said, oh, I was talking to the rabbi because he interviewed the rabbi um, from the synagogue that my parents had started. And they were, my dad and this rabbi were, are good friends. And, and he said, uh, 
he was asking me about the book and I said, Oh, did you tell him that the book is off? Cause I had to tell him right away that, you know, and he goes, yeah. And he wants to know, he wants to call him and find out why, because he, it's the anniversary. I think it's like the 50 or 60th anniversary, your anniversary of the, of the synagogue. And he wanted everybody to buy the book. And I'm thinking, oh, my dad must have dreamt that because everybody there would know him. Everyone and, would know him. And that's who's going to be calling. So I'm like, oh, how interesting is that? <laughs> yeah. But I but I think, them, you know, like dad. when I look at your, your story, Frankie, in your book, I, I think of the, the Rose Temple, you know, by Lucia yeah. Mitchell Weitzman and, yeah. you know, how that had so many painful moments, you know, from Lucia's past. and. Yeah. The amazing thing that happened, you know, that I'm sure will happen with your book too, is it opens the hearts of people whose hearts might have been closed for 50 or 60 years to say, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one that went through things like this, you know, or somebody who's going through hardship now can read it and go, wow, if this little 13 year old boy can run across Europe and then work to pay for his mom, his dad, and his sibling, like that's kind of totally backwards. Like the little boys paying for the things like that the parents couldn't. So his father was brutal. Okay. His father was brutal and his brother, he, he met his brother in England. His brother had joined the American air force and he was stationed in Ireland or something. Anyway, he ran into him or somehow they, they met up in a bar in England and you know, so he saw his brother and I think a week later, his brother was shot down and killed. <gasps> and the, the parents, you know, wrote to him and said, you know, I think his mother, um, remember private Ryan, saving private Ryan. Yeah, saving private Ryan sure. So his mom wrote to, uh, I don't know, the government or something about that. If you only have one son, you can bring him home from the war. Right. Kind of thing, right. So she wanted to save her other son. So she, she, she was able to get him home, but he's coming on a U on a U-boat that's being bombed out in the ocean, right? Like amazing. So he ends up in New York and his father says to him, I wish you were the one that was killed. <gasps> I'm like, oh, what? No. Um, can I say bastard? I'm like, are you flipping kidding me? After you, you, you saved him out of a concentration camp, you worked your ass off for five years so they could be over here having a nice life. And he says that to you. Yeah. I'm so mad. Oh my, I found out lots of stuff and I'm like, oh, I'll never, thank God you're dead because I'd kill you. <laughs> like my dad is like, you know, I idolize him. Like you idolize your dad and yeah. he's like, he's like, you know, the standard that everybody else has to reach, right? Right. All the other men in the world. And you and I were really lucky. We had great fathers because not a lot of girls have great fathers out there no. today. Um, no. And, and both our fathers, I think, you know, my father was from, their family was from Germany. They didn't have, obviously, you know, the, the drama that you did. But, you know, my father was the first one in his family to go to college. And he was, he was all about perseverance and about, you know, don't give up. And he used to call me the Bobo doll because <laughs> no matter what happened, like I lose my job, I get divorced, I, you know, get dragged through all these custody battles, I get punched in the head, you know, like just... You know, he's like, you just bounce back up. Like it takes a couple of days, but you bounce back up and you yeah. keep going. And I yeah. think that's why stories like this, stories of resilience and perseverance, they really show how hardship is just one of the quilts in like the fabric of life. Yeah. It's not your whole life and it doesn't have to be your whole life. And 
I'm not defending your grandparents, but people say the dumbest things. Like I think of our friend who, um, with the childhood cancer talk radio, when her son died and one of the moms, we were all standing in, you know, at, at the, like about, I don't know, it was a day after her son died and he was four years old and, you know, nobody knew what to say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Little Jack. So we're just, you know, crying and whatever, and everybody's hugging. And (laughs) one of the moms says, I'm just so glad it's not my son. What? And we were just flabbergasted, like standing there looking at each other, like, cause the mom heard it. Like any mother would, we all felt that way. Like we all felt that <laughs> nobody says it. And Unbelievable. You know, yeah. it's amazing that, you know, but it also shows, you know, obviously Janet, you know, it didn't cripple her forever. You know, she went on, she's, you know, a host and author and doing all sorts of great things in Washington for advocacy work for childhood cancer. But it also showed to me her, her great grit and determination and the grit and determination of your father to keep going, not only despite incredible odds against them, but the dumb things people say. And I think, you know, in an era of political correctness, we live in a country full of dumb things said by yeah, <laughs> any number of leaders or, tweeted. <laughs> you know, any, any number, we're not going to name anybody. We're not going to throw anybody under the bus, but I mean, people do say dumb things. I've said some pretty dumb things in my day. Yeah. Um, well, he said a lot of other dumb things too, but you know what? It's still, I, and I, I and I understand like this idea of freedom and when you've been so independent from a young age and and I was too, I left home at 17, you know, it's very difficult to have somebody tell you what to do and how to do things because you've been responsible for yourself. Yes. So did your dad, how involved was your dad in this, uh, in the writing of it? Did you interview him and then just come back and write or was he directing things? No, uh, we went, we went and spent three days in Mexico interviewing him. And then Peter went and interviewed my siblings because I didn't want to do that. Oh, that's good. Um, and then I, um, as I started writing, I had more questions. I wanted to go deeper and he's, dad's kind of high level and didn't want to get real emotional, I don't think. And I said, let's give me a little bit more here. Give me a little bit more there. Like, can yeah. you give me some more? Right. And so he would, um, and he tried real hard. Uh, I would have done a little bit different book having done it now, I go, Oh yeah, I'd love to go back and do it like this. Right. Yeah. But, but that's, that's more of a, of a real novel, a historical novel than, than what this is. This right. is like a legacy book really. It's a biography. Yeah. It's a biography. Yeah. It's a memoir. And I know that, you know, I understood that one of my siblings was a little upset because there wasn't, you know, he was married to her mom for 30 years and she thought there'd be a lot more in there. And I said to her, I said, don't expect that. Because to him, that's not his story. I mean, yeah, he was, but that's not the story. Right, that's not the story. There's other stories and you're welcome to write that story if you want to find the story. Yeah, like this is just the story, you know, he wasn't getting into relationships. He was, this is what he did, you know, he went to business and he did this and he did that. And, and, and so it's just, that's just a different book, you know, and and I felt bad, but that's not where he went. Um, And, he directed it as far as where he went because we're not going to, you know, I said, maybe you should talk a little bit more about this or maybe you could say that, you know, can, can you come up with something? And so he would write to me and I would kind of rewrite it a little bit. Um, but we're also talking a 94 year old man. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, 
he's a wonderful orator. My dad's a great speaker, mm -hmm. but you know, when it comes to writing and stuff, he, you know, he still got grade eight education. Right? right. And you know, he was, he, he owned a company and, and a couple of companies and, uh, I'm not going to say he's a terrible writer. He's not, but that wasn't his forte. He's a speaker. Oh, and, and to be fair, how many, of not everybody is a writer. Yeah. Right. Not everybody is a writer. And you know, it's gotta be incredibly emotional to revisit some of these things. I think about a lot of the stuff I do on military mom talk radio, yeah. my sister show. And, you know, when I worked for the I history channel, we had to document these stories from world war two, you know, cause they veterans yeah. are dying at a rate of like a hundred a day. So, yeah. you know, when we're looking at world war two veterans that are, you know, trying just to get them to go back and recall memories that they probably thought were better left buried and that they yes. never had to deal with again. And it's a weird thing. Some of them, Frankie, they, they wanted to share their story. Yeah. You know, they really wanted to, to have this final say before they leave this earth. But some of them, and I saw this also, you know, with, the, with the, um, the Rose Temple book, they, it was incredibly painful, it is painful. for them to go back to this time. It is painful. And like, it's kind of interesting because when he read, he read the first draft of it and it's changed considerably since he read it. But even at that point, he goes, wow. He goes, I can't believe that was my life. Like, I can't yeah. believe that was me. You know, like, it seems like somebody else. Yeah. And, and it is like almost, it's almost a hundred years, you know, right. like, holy crap. Um, a lot has changed. He's done a lot in, in, in that time. And um, at the same time, you know, he, he's, he's a patriarch and he, he is the head of our family and we love him. And, uh, you know, I wish he could go on another 94 years, but. Yeah, but I love that this, do you think, like, let's talk about you personally, your daughter, you have how many kids? I got three. Two twins, right? You have a twin, set of twins. Yeah. So you raised twins yep. and how many grandbabies? I've got five grandbabies. And how many dogs? One dog. Right now. <laughs> okay, right now. Because <laughs> sometimes you have more dogs. Yeah. Um, but my, my point being is that you have a pretty full life. Yeah. You have a rich, full life. And so to decide as a grandma of five and, and, you know, to write this book, to take on this family legacy, if you will, and have to deal with your brothers and sisters in both positive and negative ways, yeah. um, but also to poke into your dad's life as a daughter you know, which is different than writing, you know, like when, when I was a reporter, I'd poke in people's lives sure. all the time. Well, poking in somebody's life is not like poking in your dad's It's not life. like finding out your dad had an affair <laughs> or finding out, you know, he's a human being. Um, yeah. And, and those are things that you find out. And I, I'm like, wow. Okay. But what but, did you find out about yourself? Like, you know, this is the thing, like, I always feel like when we read a book or we listen to a book, or watch something like this. It, there's something in it that resonates with us, and we're forever different. Mm -hmm. How are you forever different after writing this memoir of your father? Well, there's a number of things. You know, one thing, um, I never really considered myself Jewish. Like, yes, my parents were Jewish. I wasn't raised, you know, religious. Um, I left when I was 12, that kind of stuff behind. But as I was writing about the family, I really wanted to make sure I got the people, the family members who died in the Holocaust, who were gassed, who were taken up, and give them a name and a face. Um, because 
you know, and that's a chapter people go, oh, well, it's pretty boring. Maybe it's boring for you to read that, and I'm sorry. Um, it is a family history. But at the same time, I wanted to give a, a, a face to these people. And, no. and, and at, at the end of that chapter, I said, thank you for allowing me to just give a name and say, you know what? These, these were siblings. They were my dad's cousins. They were his uncles and aunts. And, you know, they didn't make it. Some people did. Some people didn't. But it's a lot of people who didn't. And so for those naysayers who said it's a hoax, it never happened, uh, maybe you can just read that chapter and, and meet some of these people. <laughs> right. You know? And, yeah, it happened. It well, happened I remember one family. I, I mean, there were 13 brothers and sisters. And, and, you know, I think three made it. Right. I remember when I first moved out here to California, it was the first time I'd ever seen somebody's tattoo yeah. on their arm from the Holocaust. And it was at our local library and I was checking out some books and she reached, she was a little old lady, she reached her thing and her sleeve went up and I saw it. And I guess like my, you know, I'm not really good at hiding my emotions, well, uh but my face went really white and my, like the tears just started like literally yeah. pouring over and she ended up, I felt so bad because like when I think back, I'm like, oh, this poor lady ended up comforting me. <laughs> you know, it should have been the other way around. I'm this yeah. privileged, you know, Californian. Yeah. Um, but she sat down with me and she, she like held my hand. She's like, it's okay. And, you know, it's, it's, it can be so real. I know. Even though it's, uh, you know, whatever, 60 years later, or, you know, and I think that's why it's so important, Frankie. And anybody listening today, if your family has a story like this, we have the ability to record digital books. We have the ability to do text to talk. Like if you're not a writer, then, you know, talk it out or, or record it. You know, that's what we did a lot with the History Channel projects or the iHistory Channel project because a lot of these people, they couldn't see anymore. They couldn't see to write. They couldn't, yeah. their hands were too shaky. So we used recording equipment to record their stories, stories of, of nurses and soldiers, you know, their recollections. Yeah, I think, you know, a number, I guess it must have been 10 or 12, maybe 15, nah, even longer, 20 years ago, I thought, you know how cool it would be to have a company where you go and you interview people's parents. And maybe they leave it until they're dead. But you have a history on them. You have a legacy from them. And they've told you that you've humanized them for their children because parents always kind of keep a parental kind of level there. Um, but I wanted to know, mom, like, you know, who did you date? Like, you know, did, were you ever bad? Did you like, tell me the stuff, give me the goods on, on you as a person, not my mom. Right. But right. what, what were your dreams as, as a young girl and who did you want to be and who, who did you love and you know, all that stuff. So I think that that would be a really cool uh, business to have. Oh, I think if people, so if people could, could, you know, let it go. A lot of people don't like to let go and want to hold that really close to the vest. But you know what? As as a parent, like my kids know a lot about me because I'm pretty open. But I, I've kept a few things. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. I mean, we're open books to a point. We're still yeah, parents, but. yeah. But you know, I think that that would be really cool to do. And and so yeah, these histories are important, and we we all want to know where we're coming from. I mean, like everybody's getting their DNA tested now on yeah. you know ancestry because they want to know what am I, and maybe you know, and maybe you don't know. You know, well, that was the thing, you know, my mother, um, we didn't know my mother's family, you know, we didn't find my mother's family till she was almost 70. 
you know, wow. all of a sudden she was a, you know, she was a, a single child of her mother who died and her mother died really young. She spoke Ukrainian and Polish, you know, before she went to school here in the state, she was born here, but she spoke Ukrainian and Polish in her household. And we would talk sometimes about her, her past, but only when I got to be like, Frankie, I was in my twenties and early thirties. And I remember, um, I remember sitting at my desk, I was at Coldwell Banker and I was waiting for a contract to come in for my boss. And it was the night before Thanksgiving. And I was sitting there and I had a cold, I had this little space heater. And so I thought, well, we had a tie line to New York. So I'm like, well, if I got to wait another hour, I'll call my mom and talk to her. So I put her on the tie line and this tells you how long ago it was because we had tie lines then. Yeah. Um, but I put her on the phone and we started talking and she's like, Oh, you know, I, I, I wonder if I'll ever meet, you know, my half brothers and sisters and blah, blah, blah. And she tells me the story about them and being down the street. And I'm like, well, do you know your dad's name? And she's like, well, I think it's this name. And I remember he had a brother, this, like he'd give me all this sketchy information. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sitting here at a real estate, a national real estate database. computer. <laughs> so I'm looking around, I'm looking through phone records. I'm looking through the social security death index. And I happened upon um, this Peter Michael McCarr. And I'm thinking how many, there was only two McCarr families in all of New York, one cluster where my mom was in Troy and another cluster in New York city. So I'm thinking, huh? And then I look and I'm like, wow, this guy's name's Peter. In 1986, his last social security check was sent to this number. So then I'm like, huh, I put my mom on hold and I dial that number and I'm like, and it answers. And I said, hi, I said, I think, um, we might be related. And I started, I was, got really nervous because I didn't prepare what to say. And I yeah. said, is Bob there? And who turned out to be my Aunt Phyllis now said, hold on, you're not the first one. Oh, my <laughs> God. Just call over to the armory. So I call over to the armory, I think in Waterville, New York. And I ask for Bob. And Bob goes, holy, you know, yeah. <laughs> another <laughs> one. And I said, yeah. what do you mean another one? Well, it turns out there's like 13 of them. Oh my gosh. We've all been finding each other over the years. And so meanwhile, my mom's still on hold. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> hilarious. I'm like, mom, now man, it's 70 years she's known about yeah. this, these things, but never thought she would ever meet them. And I'm like, mom. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I got your brother on the line. And it was just dead silence. And she's like, you what? I said, yeah, I went through the social security death index. Then I did a reverse phone directory. See, now this is a wonderful story that you need to write keep for your kids. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's- And go interview all those, those 13 brothers and sisters and how their stories and how, you know, they finally got together. I know, but they're all dead, so I'd have to make like I think I think only my uncle Bob's well, make dead, it a, a, a novel. <laughs> yeah, I'll write a novel. But it was really cool to that go. That is very cool. And you know what, Frankie? Like sometimes people say to me when they hear this story, like you're so amazing. Like how did you do this? I don't know. Truly, it was like a phone and a computer. Like and if it your mom a, had said something earlier, like imagine she would have, you know, she had to given the names and she had to do the thing. Like you might have just click something who knows well yeah and we live in an era when we can do dna yeah. testing when we can look at you know reverse directory lookups we can look up all this stuff you know if this was 25 years ago when this happened it wouldn't have been possible yeah but all these stories are now possible because i wanted to of- say something about audible too because you know not everybody has a voice for a book even if you have a book in you but if you do have a voice for a book 
speak your book. It's fun. We did, we had a great time doing it. And, you know, and, and in our, in our case, everybody did have, you know, if they didn't have a voice, they had an accent and it was kind of fun and it went with their chapters. But, you know, I, I encourage people to, to put their book in all of the categories, be it Kindle or hardcover or paperback and audible. And, you know, you can find somebody to do a voiceover if it's not you, but it is real fun to have, have your spoken story. Your story come to life. And people do listen over Spotify. They do listen, you know, in their cars and they listen in their bathtubs and they listen uh, when they're going to sleep because it is nice to hear a story. We love to hear stories. That's how human beings have, have, have learned for generations, right? They, through story. Yeah. Well, and that's what I love about these. Like, and that's why I said every time you listen to a book or you read a book or you watch something, you're changed forever. You're different from the moment you like, like, let's take this show today from the time the listener starts listening today to where we are now. They're a different person It may have planted a seed that says, Hey, maybe I could tell my story or it may have encouraged somebody who was, you know, cause like the, the job of a writer is, is really tough. It's not like a teacher, a teacher goes to school and she has to teach her kids. So it's like, you have to be there by eight, you leave by three, you know, writers, there's really not that gun to your head unless you have a publishing contract and then there's a big gun to your head. But you know, it's really that, that process is a labor of love because you want to say something. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to amazon.com or any of them for want of 40 pounds is the name of my latest book. If you want to go buy it, yeah, I, would, I would love for you to do that. Thank you. Um, that was just a little plug. And, and our book was called, I buried my chest. 21 unstoppable women get naked and uh, we didn't strip. We just told our truth. And so that was pretty cool too. Well, and that's the thing is like, I love how you put it. We told our truth because when my chapter came out, there were some people that were saying, well, I don't remember it this way. And I don't remember and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know what? That's okay. Because I didn't say this is the absolute fact. This is my truth. This is how I remember it. This is how I felt. This is what I experienced. You know, we live in this era of fake news. And I think it's hard sometimes, especially for writers or semi-autobiographical things. If you remember it a certain way and somebody else remembers it a different way. And I remember when I went to journalism school, Frankie, Mm -hmm. they did this thing in one of my journalism classes where we were all, you know, kind of bored doing a class. And then somebody ran in and stole the teacher's purse and ran out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, they had us all write what we saw. I did that too. Yeah. Blue shirts and red shirts. And, you know, someone saw a white guy, someone saw a black guy, someone saw a short guy, tall guy, everything under the sun. And it was to show that we have observational bias that, you know, we interpret things with our own and that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, we're not, what we're producing is not you know, we're not factual publication people. We're telling a story. And so if I remember it differently than you, Frankie, like when we were working on, I bared my chest, we all have different experiences, even though we experience the same thing. Yeah. Because we're different people. So don't let anybody, I guess my point is like, don't let anybody shut down your voice. Yeah. Don't let anybody shut down your voice. We're all entitled to have our voice, be it uh, like, if it's a parent or a sibling or a spouse or whatever partner, you, you are entitled to your voice. So use it entitled to your voice. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you today. Uh, Frankie Picasso, author of one of the four books, <laughs> midlife mojo, no bull allowed 
I bared my chest and for want of 40 pounds. For want of 40 pounds. Terrific. All right. So if you want to go to audible.com slash motherhood or text motherhood to 500, 500 and listen for a change, you can get um, these great programs from audible and it'll change your life. It'll make you just enjoy life so much more. I didn't this- know that they had their own books. Huh? Yeah. I didn't know audible had their own, like a Netflix. They yeah. create their own stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it is cool. All right. So we'll be back again next week. Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.